0: Let me encourage you now to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turning with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. That was our passage last week for our sermon on what does God say about grace. As we look at that passage, we, we see that the first three verses are a focus on the bad news of grace. In order for us to understand the goodness of grace, we first have to understand the bad news that leads to grace. And so last week, we just focused on the bad news. But grace isn't just a diagnosis of bad news. It's a solution, the prognosis of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at the rest of the verses of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 10, to get the good news of it. But we also, as we do this, I want to remind us that we need to keep in mind the bad news. As I shared last week, a wise pastor and professor in seminary pulled me aside one day and he gave me the counsel that in the chest of every Christian beats the heart of a Pharisee. As we said, that's not the sort of counsel Christians want to get. Because when we think of the Pharisees, we probably don't think good thoughts. The term Pharisee probably brings to mind the law. That they were the sticklers of the law, teachers of the law, the keepers of the law. And not only did they observe God's law, but they saw implications to that obedience and they took those implications and they made those laws unto themselves. So when they looked at, say, the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath day holy, they saw implications to what that meant and they took those implications and they added that the, the. Added that law onto the law of keeping the Sabbath day holy. So these were a group of people who were under the burden of the law. And this helped in many ways to shape their personalities. These are not the kind of people we want to go on vacation with. We, we wouldn't want to spend a Friday evening with them. But I think often when we think of the Pharisees, we think their problem is law. We think their problem is legalism, but that's not their problem. The root of their problem was grace, that they lacked knowledge of grace and they lacked experience of grace. Their problem wasn't that they were good. They were good at obeying the law. The problem was they had no focus on grace. They were a graceless people. And this is why they hated Jesus. Because as John tells us in his opening prologue, uh, he is the one who is full of grace and truth, meaning that Jesus is grace. It's not something he possesses. It's not something he's perfected. Rather, Jesus is the incarnation of God's grace. And so when we think about Calvary. We think about the persecution of Jesus. The persecution from the Pharisees is they hated Jesus because they were graceless. And he is full of grace. And that should strike fear in our hearts. That if it's true, and I think it is, that in the heart or in the chest of every Christian is the ability of the heart of a Pharisee to beat, that should scare us. We don't want a Pharisaical heart beating in our chest. Because it means we have a heart that doesn't know Grace. It doesn't practice grace. It doesn't love grace. We have a heart that's more apart from Jesus than it is united to Him. So we want to have hearts that love grace, that knows grace, that practices grace, because we have hearts that are captured by Jesus. We want hearts that are captured by by the truth of Ephesians truth. grace that uh, the, the truth of grace that changes us, uh, that has changed us and is changing us. And all for the glory of Christ and his grace. So this morning as we come back to our passage and we seek to follow Paul and his formula, we want to look more at this good news. We want to move from the bad news to the good. So let me pray for us and then we will come together before God's word. Father, we come to you now, we pray for your grace upon this time, your grace, which is in Jesus Christ. So we pray for his spirit to be here with us and among us, to open our minds and our hearts to your word. Some of us here this morning may be very physically weary. Maybe we didn't sleep well last night, or it's been a long week. Maybe we are spiritually weary. We're just, we're just burdened by our sins and the cares of the world. May we're burdened by doubts. But you have us all here. You have us all here for the balm of your word. So wherever those wounds are, we pray that you would apply that balm this morning. Help me to be your faithful messenger. Guide your people And being your faithful flock. And may we glorify you. And find our joy in you in this time. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. If you'll join me now in standing for the reading of God's word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Over the course of, I imagine, most of our lives, there have been words spoken that have changed your life. Maybe it was the first time you heard your future spouse say to you, I love you. Maybe it was your wedding day and you're standing at the altar, you're standing there in front of God and your family and friends and loved ones and you hear your loved one pledge themselves to you for the rest of their lives with those two little words of I do. Maybe it's hearing your child first say, Mama, or dada. Or your parent telling you how Proud they are of you, the person that you have grown up to be. Maybe it's the last words of a loved one before they passed away. Or it could be the other side of the coin. When the doctor walks into the room and shuts the door and gives you the prognosis of cancer. Or that knock on the door or the phone call telling you that a loved one has passed away over the course of our lives, we have probably had these words when spoken, they've changed us. And they are indelibly carved on our minds because we know, we have experienced that as soon as those words were spoken, we were changed from that very moment on. Once those words were put out there, our life would never be the same again. For good or for bad. For Christians, we find those words in our passage this morning in verse 4. But God. But God. Now, that can just sound like a transitional phrase. That Paul is preparing to contrast something. He's in the midst of transition. And he's going to do something. Or he's transitioning so he can contrast something. And that's true. Grammatically, that is what's going to happen. But there's something bigger happening here than just grammar. But God means that there is an eternal transition and contrast. One that begins here and now and goes on for eternity. Understand this. as Christians there are two words that, there, there, are no, there are no other two words that have changed you more spiritually and eternally than those words, but God. Because as we see here in, in, in Paul's uh, testimony of grace, he is moving from the bad news, that diagnosis. And we're going to talk a little bit more here in a moment. He's moving from that diagnosis of bad news to the wonderful news of the gospel. To the good news of Jesus Christ, to that balm of grace that we all need. What Paul says here changes eternity for us. When we find this phrase in Scripture, "but God," usually it indicates a transition from the bad news to the good. That the author, through the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, listen, here's the bad. And we have explored the bad, but God. Because of God, now here is the good. And so there's this, when we think about Paul here, there's this wonderful irony, in a sense, at work. It's a divine, gracious irony. Because you think about the heart of a Pharisee, Paul had that heart of a Pharisee. When he was Saul, he was out persecuting Christians. Those who followed grace, who loved grace, were changed by grace. Paul hated them. He hated the one who was grace, who is grace. And grace met him on the road to Damascus. And so thoroughly changed Paul that we come to Ephesians 2. And we see a man who is bathing in grace, who is wallowing in grace, who is trying to take it all in. So Paul knows the bad news. He wasn't born with a with a uh, 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 he wasn't born with a Christian silver spoon in his mouth. He's lived out that bad news. He knows what it means to be spiritually dead. What it means to be morally captive to sin and Satan. He knows what it means to stand condemned before God. And he shares that bad news with us. He says, before grace, before Jesus Christ, this is true for you as well. That you and I are born spiritually dead. And before Christ, we were Bound. We were chained to sin and Satan. We could not say no to sin. We could not say no to Satan. And therefore we stand condemned before God. And the implications of this bad news is huge because the implications are eternal. Because we're born spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, it has the implication that we are eternally separated from God. Because we follow after our own desires and Satan, it implies that we are now enemies of God. Because we stand guilty and condemned before God implies the eternal wrath of God. And that's the bad news of grace. That's the bad news of who we are before faith in Jesus. And then Paul says two of the most important words we will ever hear. But God. See, this is, doesn't have to be our final chapter. This doesn't have to be our final word. Grace can be the final word because of God. That the grace of God in Christ Jesus is the good news that forever changes us and now defines us. That although we are ruined by sin, we have been ruined by sin, God in His mercy pours out the riches of His grace upon us in Christ Jesus and what Paul does here is he explains that what grace does is that it reverses or just, it redeems the bad news. You were once spiritually dead. But he says here in verse 5, you have now been made alive with Christ. Here's the, the bad reality. That before Christ, your understanding was darkened. You were unable to see Jesus. You were unable to love Jesus You can only evaluate things based upon the conventional sinful wisdom of this world. That your hearts, our hearts, have been hardened by our own sins and sinful choices. But God, but God and His grace in Christ has now made us alive together with Christ. So those who are in Christ, who have trusted in Him, who have been united to Him, they have now been made alive with Him because of His grace. Then no longer does our spiritual reality look like a casket. Spiritual reality is we are now alive because Jesus Christ is grace and has shown us His grace. Like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like we sing in Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. Because we are spiritually alive, we can now see the excellency of Christ. His way of salvation, the beauty of faith, and the graciousness of grace. Grace. That our hearts and minds can no longer restrain themselves as we rejoice in the fact that we were once deader than dead. Our caskets have been put in the ground. The ground has been covered over. The tombstone have been put up. But God, because of him, we are no longer in a grave. We are now spiritually alive. And because we are spiritually alive, we are now no longer morally captive Our reality once was that we were in chain to the to the to the world and to the devil and to our own desires. As we look around at the the evil of the world, we were in chain to that. As we look at the the evil of Satan, we were chained to him. As we understand our own sinful desires, we were bound to that. But God, we are now empowered to live for Jesus and His glory. We are now freed to say no to sin. In Romans 6, 4, Paul explains that we have been raised with Christ, that we might walk in newness of life, that newness of life is grace, that we can now walk and live in the grace of Jesus Christ. While in the past we were not able not to sin, now we are able not to sin. It's so that wonderful phrase in the Latin, posse non pecere, non passe pecare." We are now able to say no to sin. By the power of God's Spirit, through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are now empowered to live in ways that God has called us to live. So, which means by His grace, we now have the power not to lie, we have the power not to steal. We have the power not to be bitter, not to harbor anger against our neighbors. But not only do we have the power not to sin, but we also, for the very first time, have the power to live in ways that please God. We are now enabled, because of grace, to see grace in the law. And we no longer see it as chains, but as freedom. we understand that obedience is good for us, it's good for our family, it's good for our church, it's good for our job, it's good for our community. It takes duty and turns it into choice. Because of grace, we see it's good to live as a child of God. No longer do we have to be legalists who obey apart from grace. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit to obey from grace. That we can now be children of the living God. Who delights in his will and his glory. And we live our lives in such a manner. We now have the power to live as God has called us to. That's best for us. That always leads to joy. So grace doesn't just simply affect the hour we first believed it affects and transforms everything but the beauty of grace is that it doesn't stop there paul says that but because of god when we were where we where we were as once condemned we are now glorified and we have been raised with jesus and seated with him in heavenly places in christ before jesus When God looked at us, he looked at us through the lens of wrath because we were his enemies. But now God looks at us in Jesus Christ. I think I've shared this with you before, so just bear with me as I repeat myself. Years ago, a pastor encouraged us when we take communion, we take a little cup. And thankfully, we have real communion this morning, y'all. There's no cardboard and medicine tasting stuff in there. This is the real deal this morning. But you take those clear cups and you look at your hands, look at yourself through it. And that's how God now looks at you through the grace of Jesus Christ whose blood was shed for your sins. No longer does he see us in his wrath, he sees us in Jesus Christ. And in that he sees us as already seated with Jesus in his presence. It is in and through his grace in Christ that the triune God now knows us and will know us eternally. No longer do we have to fear him as a judge. But we go to him as a loving father. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace changes us eternally. And all of this goodness of grace is dependent on Jesus. We don't have time to go back to it this morning, but I encourage you at a later point to come back to this passage and see how Christ centered and Christ focused it is on grace. It's like Paul has all these arrows in it keep on pointing us back to Jesus. When he's talking about grace, he's pointing it back to Jesus. When it's now not, no now, no condemnation. He points back to Jesus. All the arrows are pointing us back to Jesus. This is Paul saying to us, grace isn't a thing. It isn't a possession. It isn't a subject just to be learned to pass a test. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Grace is Jesus and Jesus is grace. And that's what the sacrament of the Lord's Supper reminds us of. That Jesus Christ, who is grace, Gave himself so we could know him and his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This really puts us in our place, doesn't it? It's amazing how much in our human capacity, how quickly we can become arrogant about something. How arrogant we can become about our athletic skills, our intellectual abilities our looks, whatever it may be, how quickly we become arrogant. And then it's even more frank to see how arrogant we can become about our spirituality, about our faith. Well, I was baptized in the ARP church. I've gone to Camp bonk That's my fancy voice, by the way. How quickly we can become arrogant of our own faith. And we start to think, We are the ones who are grace. And we're the ones who have a perfect handle on graciousness. But it's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. It's not about you. It's not about me and what we can do. It's about Jesus. And what he has done. And who he calls us to be in him. And Paul ends with this, and we will end with this as well. That changes us. For now we understand we are Christ's workmanship. We have been creating him for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We understand that Jesus is grace, and grace is Jesus. Now we can have that heart of flesh that beats instead of the heart of a Pharisee. Because of Christ and in Christ we can know grace. We can love grace. We can live by grace. All of our life is now about Jesus. For us to live as Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? That all my life is now about Jesus and his grace. And that's the good news of grace. It's all about Jesus. And who he is. And what he has done for you and for me if we would just believe and we would trust, we would grow in that grace and the knowledge of the one who is grace. Pray with me.